game is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D dynasty. It it's automatic owner's manual. It it it's automatic D dynasty. It it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors, C Chris Allen and A A Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, the co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual Pod. And I'm Adam Wildy, the other co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual Podcast, and I'll get us started with the foreword. So we just finished recording our second yeah, DLF episode, uh, first awesome one. Uh, we ran through it the first week and just got some feedback, got some good feedback, and we edited, we um, fixed some things, we got green screens. So if anything, come for the green screens because we have cool logos in the background Every week, uh, Devi Owners Manual is working hard, so they've got new content for 2020 coming out, and they've been working a lot on that. And the Best Ball Owners Manual is actually coming out with quite a few pods coming soon, so you're going to get help with those draft teams because I know everybody is fighting the temptation to jump in those right now. Other than that, just tune in for the DLF show, and we've got a lot of good content coming with the rest of the offseason. Yeah, I think that so far, I mean, it's uh, we're halfway through May, and, I mean, we've been kind of pumping out content on a weekly basis between this, DLF, Devi, Best Ball. I mean, we're just an owner's manual all over the place. And I think it's been really, really great to see, like, the, the entire crew putting out content. And uh, but speaking of content, I mean, if you're checking out content, I think one of the, especially during the in-season, uh, one of the, I guess, key sites uh, that I typically go to myself, and I think, Adam, like, you, you probably read through some of their stuff, uh, is Roto World. I mean, the, the godfather, at least that I consider to be the godfather, Evan Silva, I mean, always pumping out content for Roto World. Uh, but also uh, the Quant Edge, I mean, the folks over there, I mean, Elliot, Brad, I mean, Mr. Reyes himself, I mean, coming from over yep. there. But, of course, I mean, the... I guess at the intersection uh, lies our guest tonight, uh, Mr. Connor Allen. Uh, we thank you for coming out tonight, of course, uh, in order to speak to us. And we wanted to talk to you about ranks. I mean, everybody wants to talk about rankings and uh, see how people value players and, I guess, their process for, uh, I guess, for how they come up with, with valuing them. And we spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of weeks talking about wide receivers. So we wanted to talk to you about running backs tonight. Uh, so when it comes to drafting running backs uh, we're talking about a position that requires a lot of a lot of volume so that we're talking about high injury rates we're talking about play, you know, players that need durability but if you look at specific cases and some cases that we've seen some of these players they might not have at least a ton of production in college they might not have been able to carry or have similar workloads as we would project them to have in the nfl so when it comes to us having to value them now once they transition to the NFL, a lot of people have the the argument or the narrative to say that, well, they've never done it in college. Josh Jacobs, like, he never did it in college. I mean, he was a part of the committee with uh, with Damian Harris, 
Uh, so, I mean, we can't. How can we project him to now completely take over that Oakland Raiders backfield? I mean, things of that nature. I guess what is the proper counter argument to that, or what's a different perspective that dynasty managers can have in order to again properly value that player that they're trying to put on their team? Yeah. So, uh, first off, thank you guys for having me on. It's awesome to talk some football. But um, yeah, so this is a, this is a super good question. I think that. The, you know, the he's never done it in college take is a really, really popular one. And I think that it depends kind of on what you're referring to uh, I, as because we see it a lot. We see it sometimes. Oh, this player never reached a thousand yards in college. We, we see it as, oh, this player didn't re- meet X statistical threshold. But I think that what combats this is how a player's traits project to the NFL. So a guy like Josh Jacobs, you know that he is a great pass catcher and you know that He's an aggressive runner, even though he didn't meet the athleticism thresholds a lot of people like, and even though he didn't meet a lot of production uh, thresholds people like. You can kind of take the other strategy as far as like contextualizing how that player fits in the NFL. So um, I think that for Jacobs, it's a little tough for me because uh, I think that some of the he's never done an argument is a little bit valid there as far as the workload goes, um, because looking at his high school uh, I mean, he's never had more than 160 touches like combined in a season ever uh, since high school, which is, I think, gives me a concern from like an efficiency and potentially like a longevity standpoint as far as him as a player. Uh, but uh, with a lot of other people, you see like, oh, he can't catch passes. And then you have to contextualize that by looking at the offense that he played in in college. So because sometimes college coaches don't even have their guys running pass routes. You don't even have their running back. They just have them staying in the block yep. or, yeah, so exactly. And then you also have them sometimes playing with run-heavy quarterbacks who tend to throw less to their running backs because they can scramble instead for longer, longer runs or potentially do it on their own. So then running backs aren't given the exact same opportunity. So being able to contextualize it with their college and kind of see other traits projected in the NFL would be probably one of my best arguments to that. And Josh Jacobs is a perfect example of why you have to use everything in your arsenal rather than just saying that I'm going to look at production. Uh, production's my favorite, but you also have to look at film as well because you can look at his catch total and say that the guy can't catch, but then you watch him catch. He's running routes like a slot receiver, and he catches great. I think his catches, his hands are fluid. I think he transitions to run well. He's got great contact balance like immediately after the catch, so you can look at just a few plays and say he he can actually catch but like you said connor if they didn't use him that way he couldn't do it he can't call his own plays so i will say for myself that jacobs was my running back two for a very long time he then made his way to the running back one and then i've decided that he was my 101 over Nikhil. even though i love Nikhil, i think that jacobs is going to have a better chance to see an adp boost in year one and then maybe i can trade for Nikhil plus in year two but contextualizing is the best word to use probably for the whole show because there's never going to be a perfect prospect unless you have Saquon Barkley. And the problem with Josh Jacobs is that uh, context is so key. So what I did is I said, why does Josh Jacobs not have the production? And the answer to that was he was an underclassman. I don't watch college, so I don't really know how that factors Uh, an underclassman behind an established running back who fit the system better. So, you know, Damian Harrison Harris is that ground-and-pound running back. Jacobs fit the team better to come in and catch balls and change pace. And Alabama is going to use their running backs to 
the best of their ability for Alabama to win football games, not for Josh Jacobs to look like an NFL prospect. So maybe he didn't get used to his full potential, but I think he did enough to demonstrate that he can be used to his full potential when he gets to the NFL. And I think that's fair. And from from what both of you guys are telling me and the the other facet that I'll kind of put on this is that, and I think this is something that uh, when we spoke to the Dynasty Dummies, so both uh, Zach and, and Kyle, while the way that we feel about players and what we've seen them do, and we come up with the way that we feel about them, looking at their draft capital and seeing how the teams feel about them, that also has to be factored in. Their situation matters. So when it comes to especially a player like in Josh Jacobs' uh, situation, I mean, the draft capital that was spent on him and also the the role that he's looking to inherit within that team, I mean, that, that has to at least give you some pause in terms of how you want to value that player moving forward. So while I do believe that the he hasn't done it in college take matters, again, contextualizing what he's been able to do or how he was used in college, while it matters, I think also what should matter, what should be another piece to the puzzle that we need to put together is how does the how does his NFL team see him? How does his NFL team value him? And so clearly with what Oakland spent in order to pick him up and also the role that he's walking into, that has to factor into how we would want to proceed in terms of drafting him. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that just because that he didn't do it in college, that means one, he can't do it in the NFL, and also two, that means that he's not valued or shouldn't be valued at the way that we're projecting him to be. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I think also kind of brings up another strategical point that like our opinions and what we see of a player doesn't really matter. Like what the NFL thinks matters, because that's what's gonna happen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like what these guys say is gonna happen. And because they're calling the shots, you know what I mean? So even if we're like, you know, Josh Jacobs should be in like a 12 to 15 touch Alvin Kamara role, which is what I thought would probably suit his skill set best. That's not going to be the case. Like he's going to be thrust. He's going to be thrust into probably a really heavy workload um, as a rookie. And that's what I fully expect to happen. Mm -hmm. So. um, So, yeah, I think that that's like something that sometimes in fantasy, especially among dynasty, you know, players, sometimes we kind of have we're like you know, separate from reality. And we need to sometimes like reel it in and we understand like, okay, so this is what's going to happen. So we need to go off of that and kind of operate in that realm of possibility. Yeah. And I think the hardest thing, and I guess a, a similar an analogous situation to that is the, is the Michael Hardman situation. Cause I'm still trying to wrap exactly. my, wrap my head around that is that like, while I did not value Hardman the same way pre-draft, but now post-draft, with where the Kansas City Chiefs are at right now with the Tyreek Hill situation, the way that uh, Hardman profiles, the draft capital that the Chiefs spent in order to acquire him, that has to matter. But if that's the way the team now wants to use him, assuming mm-hmm. that Hill is going to be gone from the team, we have to take that into account. I sure. Mean, we can't just completely dismiss it and say, well, that guy is not the guy that we want him to be, so it's just, yeah, it's a square, you know, square hole, round peg, like that sort of situation, and we're just going to dismiss it. No, that, that has to matter because that's what the team is going to do. They're going to put him out on the field in that role. <laughs> we can never get away from these wide receivers. No, we can't. <laughs> Nicole is tearing me apart because I'm not interested, but I think that opportunity is king over all else. I think that we have to do our best to get the dominator scores, the uh, the metrics from the combine, the college production, we're going to put all this into a into a pie chart 
and it's only going to make up 25% of the pie chart. And then the other 75% is just going to be opportunity. So where I'm not saying we shouldn't do the rest, I think we're working very, very hard to fill 25% of the pie chart. And then the other 75% of the pie chart is going to be filled for us by the NFL. So obviously we did a lot of work on the 25% of Nicole Hardman's pie chart, but it obviously didn't matter because none of the work that we did translated to the capital that he was given or to the situation that he was given. So now we have 75% of his pie chart saying, buy me at all costs because he's going to get all the opportunity in the world. He was drafted high enough. He's on the highest power offense in the league. Um, He's got the opportunity being presented to him by Tyreek leaving. Sammy Watkins always gets hurt. There's not really a wide receiver three that you're excited about. So everything points to his production, and that's why it's ripping me apart because I don't know why I don't like him more. Right, and I think that's the that's the thing, especially when it, so now moving back to uh, the running backs, that's the thing that we really need to kind of take into account. So now let's look at your ranks specifically. Um, we'll tweet out the link after we're done, but you put out a set of ranks like on Roto, Roto World, and we'll, again, we just want to focus on the running backs. And so based off of your ranks, let's do, let's try and look at this from a practical application standpoint. So you have your ranks set out, but now how do you transition your ranks or how do you use your ranks? Like when you're starting to fill out your, your dynasty rosters, like, are you a best player available type of guy? Or when it comes to trying to assess value, are you trying to plug in holes as you see fit, like based off of team needs or what is your approach to dynasty? Yeah, so I would say that it obviously depends on the severity of need, uh, but I would say over 90% of the time I'm going best player available um, because that player provides more value for your team. And I think that that's an important part of Dynasty is that if you believe that player is going to provide more value, then you should have him and can always trade uh, trade for a position if you need if you really need it. But I'm not really super into the whole position of need thing because I think that you can always find ways around that, especially if your league is semi-active. Uh, another thing to consider, too, and something that I really like to do with rookie drafts is mostly tier-based drafting. As you can see, so my article on rookie on Roto World um, is all tiers, and that's a big thing for me, too. So, like, if I have, you know, if I have a, a running back that is in tier one for me, and but I don't really need running backs, and then I have, you know, my position of need, those wide receiver, and it's tier two, you know, I'm definitely going to still take the running back because it's a tier one guy for me that I think provides more value in the long run. Whereas the wide receiver, while it might maybe help me, you know, which it might not even because rookies generally don't make an impact right away a lot of times, especially at the wide receiver position. So it takes them a little bit longer to develop and they might not even be able to fill your hole that you already drafted them to. So I think that for me, it's it's almost always best player available. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule, but uh, that's generally my approach. And that's very well put, Connor, because we harped on best player available a ton last week, so much so that I had to like reel it back because I felt like we were being too aggressive to anybody that didn't draft best player available. We were available. hyped up. Just <laughs> to, me, to me, it only makes sense to do best player available. But over the last week after I listened back to the podcast, I started thinking about it and I said, well, is there situations where I wouldn't go best player available? Because if you look some of my teams, people think I'm crazy because I have 19 wide receivers, three running backs, and my only quarterback is Kyler Murray. And it's like, what is this dude doing? But it's going to look so different by the time it's time to start a lineup the problem though is that you are very reliant on the other 11 people in your league being active 
Um, so I will say the caveat to best player available that I was able to find after thinking back towards last week was if your league's not that active, you probably have to worry about your starting lineup a bit more. Because when we were talking to Derek last week, it was like, when do we worry about our starting lineup? And it was basically came down to <laughs> right before you have to click submit was the answer. But if your league's not active, then you can't really just do best player available because then you might go into the season with 15 wide receivers and three running backs. So I just wanted to add that caveat since we didn't hit on it last week. I honestly really didn't think about that that instance, but I'm sure that's out there. No, I'm sure. And I, this is something that I wanted to ask. Uh, I actually wanted to ask Derek since he puts out a bunch of content, but I'll ask you this question, Connor. Uh, so in some of your leagues, because you're – I mean, you write for a fairly prominent site, so it's at least, uh, I guess it's a fair assumption that most folks in your league probably take a look at your ranks like before they get it, hop into the draft room with you. So are there, has there ever been a case where, you know, your ranks have kind of been used against you and like in trade negotiations and things of that nature where people are like, well, I know you value this person this way because I read your article. I mean, has that ever happened to you beforehand? Um, so luckily it hasn't been, it hasn't really been a huge issue. Um, I mean, because... Honestly, a lot of the leagues that I play in also have analysts in them who also write content. So, like, you know, we we know not to, like, you know, hold that against someone, but we also know, like, it's it's in everyone's head. Like, everyone reads, reads each other articles. I also, what I do is I, like, especially when I'm looking to trade with someone, is I'll put their handle and then the player's name on Twitter and search it to see any time that they've tweeted about that player. That's um, a good to idea. See, to see, like, what kind of, yeah, like, and how any kind of reaction that they've had that I can potentially use for or against them. And then I can just get a gauge, you know, if they're like, Oh, Josh Jacobs, one one like, you know, like he's the best, you know, like obviously I'm not going to be able to trade, you know, trade away, trade him away. Or like, I'm gonna have to trade an arm and leg to get him. So, you know, it's just like one of those things that I use it against other people and it hasn't been used too hard against me, but it's something that is out there. And thankfully I published my rookie ranks a little bit after a lot of my dynasty drafts. So I got lucky there in my rookie draft. So, Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's out there and it is what it is. If someone ever really puts me against it, I think it, it would be kind of funny almost. And I, I'd be a little frustrated, especially if it was a guy I really liked. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair. Actually really smart, man. That's, that's genius to put the handle in and then see if they've said anything about a player. I've never thought about that. I was just thinking when you asked this question, Chris, about how I, I could pretty much guess who all of the people in our, in our group of, analysts would would draft at any time i mean i could pretty much draft for a lot of people like i feel like i could draft for jake i feel like i could draft for for russ and i would get it pretty close so just get dk metcalf and you're good yeah (laughs) when it comes time to draft and those guys are in the league what i will do is when i get to later picks i'll start looking for the player that i know that they love and then i'm just going to look to trade them immediately but i want to go off the show sheet just a little connor and i want to jump into best player available just a little bit more and we'll try to keep it running back centric but can you kind of go through what best player available means in the draft and then also what are you going to do after the draft after you've drafted best player available and you're stuck with 17 running backs and three wide receivers how do you remedy that yeah so i think that that's that's tough because that's like a you know pretty extreme example because i generally like to build a pretty you know even roster unless i really love a player because i think that just the way i operate in general in dynasty is that um, unless I'm like really have a lot of conviction on a guy, 
um, you know, I'm probably going to make sure to like get value and kind of let the let the best player available come to me. So um, that's just kind of how most of my rosters are built. So if I'm ever in the scenario, like you're saying, where I have like, you know, 17 wide receivers, three running backs, I'm probably going to be looking to um, not necessarily trade away a guy that I just draft, but probably look to move some of my other players for, for, for like other guys. And that's kind of because if you were able to draft him and no one was trying to trade up, like it's, at least in my league, it's been pretty rare that someone's like really itching for that guy. Unless you knowingly, like you said, you knowingly would take like DK Metcalf over for Jake or something like that. Um, you know, like that, that's a scenario where I think it's different, where you could definitely get some good value for that. But other than that, I think I probably like to try and move some of my other guys and then just see how these guys value develops. Because that's another thing with these best player available picks too, is that, a lot of times the best player available to me, in my opinion, is a guy whose value is going to rise over the course of this first year and that I can sell for more the next season. So it's not someone that I even want to really sell right now because I think that they'll get their value should rise within the next season. No, and I think all that's fair. And when it comes to actually putting together that type of roster, I think it's, it comes with an understanding of you're going to have to make some moves then to kind of mold that roster into what you're going to have come week one of the 2019 season, like that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. So while while you are putting together that roster, it's like it might look funny. And like in the situation that Adam discussed, you've got three running backs, like umpteen, you know, umpteen wide receivers, maybe a tight end or something like that. But it comes with trading, it comes with being active in your league, and then just kind of, again, just molding it into something that you can wind up using. But now, again, focusing on the running backs, uh, getting back to your ranks. Uh, so the way that you have them set up, I mean, the big three running backs are the ones that everyone's pretty much been focused on. Uh, Jacobs, Montgomery, Sanders, I mean, that seems to be the consensus, like top three for any draft I've ever seen. I can't think of anything other than somebody that goes off the handle and really hates Todd Gurley and gets Henderson at some point, which is entirely possible. But regardless, I mean, just focusing in on, on those three guys, because they typically go within the first uh, you know eight or so picks, um, like, are you moving up in drafts to pick any of them? I mean, if you see any of them fall past, I guess, I guess anything relative to their current ADP, what Jacobs is at, 102, somewhere in there. Uh, Monty's in, what, 105, somewhere in there. Sanders, 105, 106. Uh, so, I mean, are you trying to move up, move back? Like, if you happen to see any of them fall, or I guess how are you generally approaching, like, seeing how they're drafted? Yeah, so for me, just in general, my strategy uh, with trading up or down rookie drafts is, you know, as I said, I, I have tiers to my draft. So essentially, I like to trade down within the same tier and then move up tiers when trading up. So it sounds simple, but uh, not everyone is the same ranks as me. Not everyone is the same tiers. So for me, uh, like I kind of kind of mentioned, is that I really want to get guys that I like have a lot of conviction for. And so for me, a guy like that is David Montgomery. So I actually, one of my rookie drafts, I traded up to get David Montgomery uh, sitting at the 106. And I moved from the 109 to the 106 in order to grab Montgomery. Because at the 109 for me, that's bordering on like a tier two, three player. And it's it's not really a guy that I'm super excited about. Whereas David Montgomery, you know, I have him in my first tier in my third overall player. So if I'm getting him at 106, and that's a guy that I would even I would consider taking at 103. So essentially, like for me, it's like trading up to the 103. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I figure that's worth it for me. So I'm I'm trading up a tier and then giving up, you know, maybe like a late uh, like an early third or something like that, or late second, just depending on the league. Um, you know, so and I'm okay with that because I'm 
because for me, I'm moving up a tier to get a guy that I really like while only giving up a second rounder. Um, so I think that for me, that's personally what I like to do if I have a lot of conviction about it. So now I'm not sure that I would do that for Miles Sanders. I'm not sure that I would do it for Josh Jacobs unless he felt like that 104, 105 range. Uh, and I was like really, really excited about it. But Montgomery is a player for me who I just like have a ton of conviction on. Uh, I tweeted out the other day, I think he's going to be a running back one in 2020. Um, and so it's like so a guy like that, if you believe that, you should trade a mid-second rounder or a late second rounder to go get that guy. So for me, for me, that trading up made sense there. I think also trading back though is really va- like really viable in a lot of these leagues and something that I've done and trading down within your same tier. So if you are at the like the middle of your tier or top of your tier and you see like a lot of the guys you value similarly, trading down three or four picks while collecting a second rounder or a player, uh, something like that makes a lot of sense to me because you're able to get a guy of similar value while adding another player. And for the sake of conversation, I asked a question earlier to a bunch of people about this scenario that I had in my dynasty uh, rookie draft recently. So I had the one six and the one Oh eight, and I wanted to get Sanders and Montgomery. I prefer Montgomery just as you do. Uh, I think that he's going to be phenomenal. And I think that he's a little underrated. I think he could go a little bit higher, but and going best player available, it kind of bit me because I know that Miles Sanders has gotten a lot of the buzz and he's being considered as the one, the running back one by some, um, pretty firmly at running back two by a lot. So I had to make the decision who's going to survive the 107 more likely. Uh, so what I ended up doing is taking Sanders at 1-6 because I thought that it was more likely that Montgomery passed the 107 to get to 108 than it was that Sanders would. Of course, I draft Sanders, and the guy takes Montgomery, and I get stuck. I think I took DK at eight, but as you said, that's a big teardrop. That's uh, I think DK is fine. I think I like the landing spot. I think he's undervalued, which means he's being drafted later in startup ADP, which means that his ADP is going to rise, like you alluded to earlier. However, that's a huge teardrop, and that kind of goes with the conversation today. If I took Montgomery there, it would have been – you know, DK instead of Sanders, and I personally would have rathered Montgomery. But then, of course, I go to trade the guy, and I know that he wants Sanders, but he won't add anything to it. So now I'm at the point where I have to bring myself to say, okay, do I want to correct my error during the draft because I'm sure I could just trade on Montgomery straight up, or do I want to diversify because I have so many David Montgomery shares already? But that's an instance where you try to go best player available, and sometimes it might bite you. And I'll even add real quick that uh, rookie drafts are more condensed. So your two players are really close in rookie drafts, but they might be 20 to 30 to 40 players apart in startup ADP. That's a big deal, and that's something to look at. So when you have your rankings up for your rookie uh, draft, also bring up startup ADP because what you want to do is see – Sanders is in the fifth round and David Montgomery is in the fifth round and then DK's in the eighth round. Okay, well, you would easily trade a late second to get from the eighth round to the fifth round in a startup. So that's something to consider when you're in a rookie draft and you're about to get to a tier that's going to be a 30-player drop in total ADP. Just give up that second and you're essentially jumping up three startup rounds. I hadn't even thought about that. And I think that's one of the 
best comparisons that you can make in terms of understanding not just where the rookie compares to within the rest of the within his tier well not just within his tier within his class rather but then now if you want to compare that to how it would then translate into the rest of the nfl player pool yeah pull up his startup adp and see kind of where that player seems to fall and the, where those gaps start to lie in. That delta, if it's like multiple rounds, I mean, yeah, that's where you can kind of leverage some of that value and see if there's a there, there's some moves that can be made within the for those players. So I like that. That's actually that's actually really useful. Uh, but one of the things. So now, I mean, moving on just real quick. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in your article. Uh, was talking specifically about, I mean, we've already talked a bit about Josh Jacobs already, um, but just looking in, so you were saying for win-now teams, Jacobs is your RB1, and then if you're rebuilding, you're going Montgomery and Sanders, and they're a bit more they're a bit more appealing to you. So when it comes to looking at Josh Jacobs, I mean, what's the difference in his situation versus the other two, and why did you, I guess, uh, I guess bend them differently in terms of how you would approach them from a dynasty standpoint. What was the logic behind that? So it was we uh, we did talk a little bit about Jacobs already, and it's kind of related to that. So, uh, like we said, that we need to operate in the realm of what's going to happen. So, what's going to happen is Josh Jacobs is going to receive uh, 250 plus touches next season, um, and that's great for a win now team. That's perfect. That's what you want. You want a guy who's going to get a ton of volume, probably in the running and passing game, uh, but. Kind of also, as I talked about, uh, I have no idea how Josh Jacobs is going to hold up over 100 more touches than he's ever recorded in an entire season. We've seen running backs get before go from like low or middling workloads to high workloads and really struggle to retain any kind of efficiency or even stay healthy, especially towards the end of the season. So you're looking at, you know, year one, I expect Jacobs to probably be fine. He'll probably be able to handle the workload. Uh, I mean, he could get a little bit banged up towards the end, but then it's just something that I don't really envision him being able to keep up with and be able to handle over the course of the long term. And while that may be a little bit of speculation on my end, it's something that I'm willing to bank on because um, I, it's just something that we've seen before. Like guys like we saw Lamar Miller go from like a 150, you know, 180 touch guy in Miami to try and be used more frequently. And then all of us, and he was just awesome in Miami. And then all of a sudden, you know, he gets that more usage and he sucks, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, obviously, some of that has to do with the situation, but it's just one example of many that where I'm just where which gives me pause about Jacobs long term. And this isn't to say that Jacobs is like for sure going to fail. It also has to relate to what's going on in Oakland. So, um, you know, I don't like to focus on just like coach centric analysis as far as like in Dynasty. But when you're looking at a thing like the Oakland Raiders, John Gruden who signed to a 10 year contract and figures to be around for multiple years. I mean, basically all that I've heard from the NFL, like actual from Mike Lombardi and and people like that listening to his podcast is that, uh, I mean, John Gruden's basically, basically kind of a clown. Um, So he, he worked with him multiple seasons and, you know, he like has worked with other people who've worked with him and basically said that John Gruden wants what he can't have as far as players goes. He's enamored with players for a little bit, but loses interest really quickly after a season or two. And that relates mostly to skill position players and players of impact. So including quarterbacks like Derek Carr, who he's super excited about, you've seen before, and now it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know, there was rumors about them trading or trying to get Kyler Murray. And then that also applies to the running back position. So, you know, if Jacobs isn't really doing it for him, I think that there's a chance that they could move move on or just try and bring in competition quicker than we think. Um, and this is also something that I think that 
just kind of relates to the, relates to the NFL and like isn't really necessarily dynasty related, but it's something that we should look at in this instance that's so profound for me and so different than like many other instances in the NFL um, that like we can actually have some kind of actual info from this and listening to this like Lombardi is so convinced that like John Gruden is just doing his own thing, running the show, and it's just going to kind of be on his own, kind of be doing his own thing. So I'm like, I don't want to, I want to bend against that. Honestly, that's, that's kind of my big thing here. And so I think Jacobs is fine for dynasty for a few years. And you can even look to flip him after this year. He's a guy who I think his value will rise in my opinion after this year. But I think that long-term I'm not really as excited about him to be an RB one for multiple seasons for years to come due to kind of the nature of that, that team, as well as, uh, I'm not really sure that their offense ever ascends to becoming top ten, which limits his touchdown upside. That's that's kind of, kind of kind of where I'm at with that. But I do think that they will be solid this year, but I don't think they're going to be like fantastic. So I like what you mentioned about you can flip them at the end of this year. Uh, that's kind of my philosophy in general for dynasty. Is I like my wide receivers old and my running backs rookies because uh, you can get early production and it's usually cheapest for the for the rookie running backs going into good situations to be able to use them and get them instead of the established veterans, because you, you know, there's no guarantee and you do have to roll the dice a little, but I think we're on the same page with Josh Jacobs that he's going to be a pretty significant producer in the first year. Now, whether I think he's going to hold up or not, doesn't really matter because if he does what I think he's going to do, I'm probably just going to sell him for a profit. And that's why I keep saying, uh, I have a bet with somebody that I'm going to, uh, bet that Josh Jacobs has a higher ADP than Nikhil Harry next year because I think that Josh Jacobs has a good chance of just going off this year and I think Nikhil might not get the playbook right away not any knock to Nikhil but just because it's a very difficult system to be in there's a lot of pressure on players coming in to the Patriots offense so who's to say you don't grab Josh Jacobs even though you're not in love with him and you think he might not hold up and you let him just go off for maybe 280 points in your PPR league, and then you flip him for a huge profit. You try again next year and hit on one of those running backs like ETN or Swift. So there you go. You take Josh Jacobs, and you just keep flipping your rookie running backs, and that process works perfect. And I think that I, that definitely works. And so I guess but focusing on the Oakland Raiders, I guess, as a team – I think Connor, you hit the nail on the head in describing, I guess, from almost the from the front office on down to the field. I mean, it's just nothing but uh, you can consider it to be chaos, right? So, I mean, with everything that's kind of working on there, I mean, is there anything, at least from a dynasty perspective, are you even interested in any Oakland Raider player in dynasty at this point? I mean, I think that if I have Antonio Brown and no one is willing to pay me like something reasonable, I'll probably hold him just on the hope that, you know, he gives me some value. Cause I think he will get targeted, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is fine probably like this year for sure. And then well, I don't really know after that. Cause I do think that this is cars last year. Um, so, you know, but I think that I think I'm probably just holding or trying to sell him. I've been trying to sell him, but it re- obviously it's totally league dependent on like what will people are willing to pay. Um, you know, it, it, Tyrell, it's, I think that he's fine. I don't, I'm not really confident that he sees really – has a lot of usable games, I guess, in fantasy, especially in Dynasty. So I'm not really not really on that at all. Um, so, yeah, I guess in general, I'm not really super excited. Um, I think you could consider – if you want to play like a total contrarian, I think Derek Carr's like 
an interesting buy low if you really want to flip the entire thing. Like if you buy it for dirt cheap because he does have all the weapons. And if you want to like kind of reverse engineer the thinking here. Um, but otherwise, you know, like if I'm not getting it for pennies, I'm definitely not touching it. No, and I think that's probably the right way to approach it. And because, and I guess the, the my only other question, I guess, and maybe we can see if there's a blueprint here that we can try to apply to other teams because it just seems like with the amount of risk that's associated with not just not just one, it's not just a single player this time. I mean, it's it's multiple. It's both the quarterback, it's their wide receiver, it's their head coach. I mean, there's just a lot of it's a confluence of a number of factors that would kind of make you like take pause in terms of investing into that offense, regardless of the big names that are currently there. I mean, you've got the first wide, uh, the first running back draft off the board there. You have at least a, let's say, at replacement level quarterback in Derek Carr, maybe. Uh, but then, then you've got AB, you've got Tyrell. I mean, okay, so this looks like or projects to be at least in at least a productive offense, but past 2019. I have no idea what that place is going to look like, especially after they move to Las Vegas. I have no idea what the team is going to look like. So in terms of uh, trying to evaluate and mitigate risk, it might be, I guess, prudent for you if you can't really see or don't understand how you could how that team can continue to produce in 2020. Yeah, it might be time for you to try and get out at least as quickly as possible. And if you can get out for cheap or get out at a reasonable cost, then sure, why not try and implement a strategy like that? Uh, but now talking about risk, I mean, let's let's switch to another team in situation that has quite a bit of risk associated with it, and depending on how you look at it, and that's injury risk with the L.A. Rams backfield. So we know that something's up with Todd Gurley's knee. Something. But now with the emergence of Daryl Henderson and with the draft capital that the Rams spent in order to acquire him, that just that's another... Uh, that's another black mark on his record to say that, well, Todd Gurley is not going to be one of those workhorse backs that we were drafting him as in 2017, 2018, that sort of thing. So how are you approaching this situation now between from either from either perspective? How are you approaching Todd Gurley and his value in Dynasty? And then how are you approaching Daryl Henderson? Because I've seen his ADP right now it's it's almost like again we keep going back to it, but like the Hardman situation where it's just the the way that the team values him and where he was drafted at. Now do we have to pay we have to pay attention to that? We have to take that into account. So how have you been looking at that situation? Yeah, this is this is such a hard one for me, and something that I spent like way too much time thinking about when doing my my rankings and kind of kind of writing it because for Todd so for Todd Gurley. Um, he's a huge sell for me. Um, I don't, I think that I would put like 90% or more certainty that he will not receive the same workload, uh, that he used to. But for me, that doesn't mean that Daryl Henderson should be a top five rookie pick. Um, because I don't think that Gurley not getting the workload he used to means that Daryl Henderson is immediately going to be like a very fantasy viable player. And I think that that's the conclusion. There's like a disconnect there that I think that that's the conclusion that some fantasy players are getting so for me daryl henderson is probably going to be like an 8 to 12 touch guy behind Gurley, who still will be the 1a to the 1b and will probably have some standalone value kind of as like an rb3 um like you see they've talked about him kind of in like a lance dunbar role which i think is probably a, a good role for him you know like i think he's an explosive player he tested in the 99th percentile and like 10 10 yard splits i think it was 96th percentile for 20 yard split 
uh, at the combine. So, you know, he's a super explosive guy. He operates extremely well in space. But um, for me, it's just that I haven't been able to land him really in any of my drafts because where I view him, there's so much risk involved with this because I don't really see that. I don't really see him ever being like a running back one unless Gurley's like suffers a season ending injury. So like arthritis is, you know, obviously it, it's bad, but from a lot of the, the people that I've, I've been following and stuff there, it's basically just like a lingering injury that'll make him never be the same, but it's not going to knock him out. Like he'll always be there and he'll always, he's still on the hook till after the 2021 season from what I saw from uh, the contract. So, I mean, they're not going to like cut him or anything without a huge issue. So that's whatever, three seasons basically that he's going to be there. Um, and Daryl Henderson is going to be behind him. It's, I'd say that there's like slim to no chance that Daryl Henderson just outplays him and, you know, beats him out permanently unless he is just like really, really injured. And we are so, like severely underestimating this. And I don't really think that's the case, which it is possible, but I, I'm not really in that boat there. So uh, I think that Henderson has so has a lot of risk involved, and his ceiling is not that high unless Gurley suffers a season-ending injury. So, or injury. So, for me, I see him going like 106 to 108. Sometimes that's too much for me. I think you know, like I would definitely be considering him like in this like early second. I think that's originally where he was going after the draft, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I can get behind this. There is some upside here, and he should have standalone value right away. But then, you know, now I'm just like, nah. Like people are drafting him like essentially like banking on Gurley just out. So, yeah, I know that this might be a little bit of an outlier take from a lot of people, Daryl Henderson, Henderson takes because, you know, the community really liked him. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that this is – it's reasonable and this is kind of like operating in my most, you know, most realistic range of outcomes. Yeah, I liked Daryl Henderson a lot going into it too. And obviously, how do you not love Todd Gurley? But the thing that I keep saying is that you can't will Todd Gurley to health. The guy, the last thing we've seen from the guy was not being healthy, you know, and then arthritis is going to last for a while. But flip over to Daryl Henderson. He's going too high as well. I wouldn't be able to touch him until the second round either, Connor. And uh, the, the thing I'm looking at here is, one, Malcolm Brown is still ahead of him. He's still not even the backup. And Malcolm Brown had his offer sheet match so say what you want about Malcolm Brown we might not like Malcolm Brown but obviously the Rams do because from what I understand it was a significant offer to Malcolm Brown and the Rams matched his restricted offer so they thought he was the running back too now we talked about this on a different show but coach speak is one thing but when you match Malcolm Brown's offer sheet and then immediately say that he's in your plans as your running back too and then daryl henderson is your lance dunbar change of pace back well are we just willing him into the running back two spot again because it seems a lot like we're willing todd Gurley into health and we're willing daryl henderson into a, a running back two role i just i can't invest first round capital in that even in a year that people consider down it makes me even more interested because the players are so cheap in that that bottom half of the first so it's you're you're taking so much risk when you really i mean if you want to take risk at the same spot that daryl henderson's going just draft Miko, and you could shoot for the stars even if daryl henderson hits you're still getting that 12 carries that you were talking about connor and that's fine and he's an explosive player so he could do something with those 12 carries it's just the range of outcomes seems so uh minute for 
for Daryl Henderson. I mean, so many things have to happen in such a perfect way for him to have your week-to-week eight to ten points that you'd really like to see from him. And I'll even add that Todd Gurley does have an out in 2020, uh, sorry, in 2022 after the four years, but he could also be on the hook until 2023 if he wants to be. So it could be quite some time before Daryl Henderson ever even saw the field. Yeah, and I guess this is a quick question for you guys. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the Dynasty community went through something similar last season when we saw the prospect John Kelly wind up going to the Rams because John Kelly was another one of those uh, like just Dynasty community darlings where it was just once he got stuck behind Todd Gurley, it was like uh, we were, the hope was that a player of Kelly's stature would wind up in a more productive situation or at least a path to uh, a path to volume and now being stuck behind Todd Gurley that's obviously obviously not the case and so now we have a player like him uh, Malcolm Brown yeah we don't really care all too terribly much about him but still is another sure. running but back that's yeah, the, but they might we actually don't. yeah obviously we don't care about him for fantasy purposes but the team obviously values him in such a way that they still want to keep him there so now and as both you and Connor made the point, I mean, it's going to take a lot in order for us to actually see Henderson get the field in one high leverage situations where he's going to be getting those touchdowns and getting those high leverage touches. And then also being the primary ball carrier it just has to be absolutely catastrophic uh, like situation in order to get him on the field. So that, at least for me personally, the cost that would come with securing a player like him is just it, the risk is too great for me. I just don't see where the payoff is at given his current situation. And again, dumb question on my part, but given his, if you look at his situation, and then if you look at a player's situation like, and this is just off the top of my head, what about Dexter Williams? Like what is what is so much worse between the, like their path to touches, but given the cost, I mean, I could just I could just see myself investing in a player with his situation, where I could see a quicker path to touches for a player of his stature than somebody like Daryl Henderson. While I understand Henderson has the better athletic profile and also the college production, but if you look at their situations, I could see Dexter Williams touching the ball just as much in 2019. I, but I could be wrong, though. I mean, I, I'm I'm putting that out there for for you guys to maybe chew on for a second. I mean, yeah, I don't think that that's like outrageous or anything because Dexter Williams, you're looking at a guy who is on a team with a new coaching staff, and they their running back core. It's not like they don't have like a, a guy that they just signed to a massive contract or a player who's like their clear cut number one. We really have no idea how that backfield's going to shake out. Um, so yeah, Dexter Williams could absolutely end up being, you know, one of their guys that they rotate in or potentially start, uh, with Aaron Jones. So, you know, we really just don't know. And that's good. That's like, you know, that's something that we're embracing the uncertainty of that backfield by, uh, selecting Dexter, Dexter Williams, a rookie drafts. And he's been one of, one of my favorite guys actually that I picked because I think that there's a decent chance or there is a chance. I mean, we just don't know. Now, if it was McCarthy who's still there and, you know, I, maybe I'd be a little bit more apprehensive, but sure. Um, but I think that given the current situation, I think there's absolutely a possibility of Dexter Williams seeing touches, more touches than Daryl Henderson this season. And you can get him in, what, the early to mid-third? Yes. I mean, so yeah. your risk is That's almost like, yeah, it's it's almost nothing compared to what you would have to pay in order to pick up Daryl Henderson. And take Dexter Williams in the in the early third. 
instead of taking Daryl Henderson and missing on some huge upside in guys like Miko or Paris Campbell because it's very situational based as to why Daryl Henderson's in the first round right now because there is nothing that we can go off of unless you're going to go uh, work out with Todd Gurley. Now, if Todd Gurley comes in week one, two, and three and looks like old Todd Gurley, Daryl Henderson's value can be flushed down the drain, especially if Todd Gurley gets spelled by Malcolm Brown. And then then I would buy Daryl Henderson, to be honest, because that's probably the most valuable handcuff in the entire league. If Daryl Henderson turns out to be the, the running back, too, and Todd Gurley is, you know, we've we've seen that he has a nagging knee injury, I'm interested in Daryl Henderson. Um, but right now he's being uh, spun the story that, Ty Gurley is going to have to get spelled because his knee is just not going to hold up. And we really don't, we don't know. Now it's enough for me to not buy Todd Gurley, but it's not quite enough for me to buy Daryl Henderson in the first round. If you take Dexter Williams, I mean, Aaron Jones is healthy and I think Aaron Jones is very talented, but you're not going to hurt my feelings taking anyone in the third round that you think has RB one on their team upside. But I just don't know that Daryl Henderson in the first round really has the, ability to pay you off at that yeah yeah kind of like what i was talking about earlier do you guys really think that it's more likely that daryl henderson's value goes up this next year or stays the same or goes down i would say that it's more likely it stays the same or goes down same like agreed mm -hmm. so that creates like there's probably a better chance of you getting him next year for cheaper Mm -hmm. which with still the same upside and that's kind of why i've been you know haven't really been able to get him because he's going way too early and that that risk of him his value being lost or staying the same just isn't really factored in an excellent player you know buy him next year and oh, have, yeah. a, have a player that's on the the best offense in the league potentially after Tyreek left the uh the Chiefs presumably but um let's say that you take Miko instead of Daryl Henderson and Miko is a guy that I've been missing on a lot because I'm not willing to take him early enough but let's just say that he hits big well Miko hitting is is an instant skyrocket um, that's just a booster because we're drafting him that early with the intention that he will take over Tyreek's role. So if he does anything similar to taking over Tyreek's role, it's an absolute skyrocket. Now, when we're taking uh, Daryl Henderson in the late first or mid first, it's more like, can I please just have 12 touches a game or can I please have 10 touches a game? Can I please just have him be involved whatsoever? Can he please be the running back too? Um, and, you know, they were had to have been lying about Malcolm Brown. You shouldn't have to ask all of those questions when you can just say, I don't really like Meekle that much because I didn't know about him, but he has every single thing in his arsenal. And Meekle's just my example. I mean, I love Paris Campbell, so I didn't want to talk about a player that I absolutely love, but take either of them instead of Daryl Henderson and then. If you like Daryl Henderson like I did, I think you have a greater chance of buying him cheaper next year than you have of drafting him at his current ADP and then getting anything out of him. I wonder, though, and now that I'm thinking about this a bit more, I'm wondering if this is almost the antithesis of the Miko Hardman situation where we had a player that... Uh, the fantasy community or the dynasty community was really in love with if you look at his college production because the guy had – didn't he have something like, what, like nine yards per carry? 
yeah, or something like 2, that. Yeah, 2,000 yards, like 8.9 yeah. yards per carry. Right. Yeah. So it's like, so you have this guy that has a ton of production. The athletic mm-hmm. profile is great. I mean, he profiles like, you know, an NFL running back. And now he just goes to the worst situation. And now people want to now push him to the front because just like, okay, well, if all these things happen, mm-hmm. uh, we can get that value out of him. Where it, on the flip side, you have players like, Hardman that it's just like well he came out of nowhere but now the teams are telling you how they value him and mm-hmm. it's like well no we really don't want to value him that way we'd rather just pay attention to the guys that we studied and we thought were great and you That's know a good point. racked up all this like excellent college production so we have to value him this way because this is what they did in college so they have to be able to do it in the NFL and it's just it's interesting to see the I guess the parallels in terms of how we view players that we really loved in college but mm-hmm. the NFL doesn't really see it the same way. And they, we and, just need somebody to explain it to them, that they were really good in college, so they should value them the same way in the NFL. Call up the coaches. But, you know, if you want to use my pie chart, and pie chart analogy, we worked so hard on the 25%, and in Daryl Henderson's case, it was very easy on the 25% because he made it so easy by producing so well that we want to ignore the 75% that the NFL gave us and it's understandable from a human nature concept because we did a lot of work and we think that he should have went somewhere better and that's fine i mean he they drafted him early and he's going to be very important to an nfl team but i don't know that he even for sure he he's better than malcolm brown so i don't want to spend that but i don't know for sure that the Rams are going to put him ahead of Malcolm Brown anytime soon, or if they have any incentive. I mean, if Todd Gurley goes down, I could see a discussion where it's like the uh, Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams thing when when Lamar Miller went down, where we didn't know which one was gonna okay. going to start. Yeah, that's why would they? What's the incentive of taking this rookie and putting him at running back two for no reason when Malcolm Brown's been there? I just don't see any reason why they make that clear to us. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. And just it was an interesting parallel or an interesting situation that I thought would be you know kind of pointed to bring up. But of course, uh, Connor, the, we thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, I mean, all this this conversation I think has been I mean made me ask questions and made me think a little bit more about some of these players and kind of how we view them. And uh, I guess we encourage everybody to go and check out your the, this article, any of the other stuff that you do for Rotor World TQE. Uh, what sharp football as well? I think you, so. You're working with Warren too. Yeah, well. I did some suffering before, and then occasionally I'll I'll uh, work with him on a few things, but Excellent. not as much as I used to. Okay, but I mean, so if there's anything else, uh, but like before we get you on out of here, though, I mean, wanted to give you a second to, I guess, talk to the folks about whatever content you got coming out over the over the summertime during the during the off season, the non point scoring season. And uh, let people know like what they can look forward to when they see your name come across their TL. Yeah, um, so a lot of my dynasty content um, is mostly during like the rookie like rookie draft year season and stuff, and like prior to the draft and everything. So a lot of my content going forward will probably be about betting, will be about redraft, um, and will be about kind of looking at teams from a macroscopic and microscopic point of view. Uh, I do a podcast called move the line with uh, Ryan Noonan. And we do like a team by team kind of like uh, divisional breakdowns that have been a lot of fun. You know, we look at each team, kind of their betting odds to win the division range of outcomes, everything like that, that has like implications. And we talk about, you know, dynasty fantasy, all pretty much every kind of format because of how 
we play in everything and we do everything. So we kind of try and connect a bunch of different, a uh, bunch of different groups there. And I think it went pretty well. So we'll probably start that up in the next month or so. And then I'll be publishing some uh, college football articles over at Roto World College Football side. Um, probably just some, some weekly updates here and then. Excellent, man. I can't wait to check some of that stuff out. I know Adam's really big into the betting portion. I, I can't I can't do that yet. I, I'll probably I'd lose all my money, but I know that's Adam's thing. Uh, but if people wanted to find you and check out your work like, through Twitter, where can they find you at? Yeah, you can check me out at Connor Allen NFL. And then, uh, like we mentioned, Roto World, the Quant Edge, um, some stuff on Sharp Football. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Excellent, excellent. All right, before we get on out of here, Adam, do we have anything else for the folks tonight? Oh, yeah, I can't wait to check out the betting content. I didn't know that, Connor. That's going to be cool because I'm going to be very interested in you telling me where to waste my money. (laughs) And hopefully we win. But um, I just appreciate you coming, man. And this was a good good time. We got to talk about running backs for a change because we've hit wide receivers very hard. I mean, that's the polarizing position this this year. We've got – Devi Owner's Manual and Best Ball Owner's Manual. We're on the same feed, so I'm sure you've seen it. If you're not subscribed, please go ahead and subscribe. We always appreciate the rate and reviews. Check us out on YouTube at Dynasty Pregame. We're also on the DLF YouTube, and that's going to be the Dynasty Mailbag live show. Uh, That's a lot of fun, and we need questions for that. So if you want to send it to us through the DLF Mailbag or through even the DLF Twitter handle or just to me and Chris, to the Dynasty Owner's Manual Twitter handle, Anywhere you can contact us, submit questions, and we'll talk about it. We'll ramble about it. We'll get some resources, and uh, hopefully we get get a good answer for you. But thanks for coming out. You can find me at APWILDE. Excellent. Yeah, and so for Adam, for Connor, I'm Chris Allen. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX. We thank you all for tuning in, and we'll catch you all next week. For the fantasy championship Dynasty. Hit the books, kid Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty o- Owner's Manual It's automatic Dynasty It's automatic Owner's Manual It's automatic Dynasty It's automatic